0: Hi, this is Cliff for the picture poems.com website in the circle and the square. Thanks for tuning in. Rockstar Else Formative Metaphor. What's that about? Well, let me begin with this little miniature. We don't see the world, we see our map of the world. It has many distortions which lead us astray. Freedom begins in awareness of the map. Let's do it again, but slower. We don't see the world. So there's a, what's the world? Well, anything that we're looking at. That can be that computer screen you have in front of your face or cell phone. Or perhaps you're out running and walking in the world with nature. Very different, but they're both still, you can draw circles around them. Just as a way of exploring it conceptually. It's your whole field of vision, both inner and outer. That's the world. And it can be very tight and small and infinitely big. We don't see the world. We see our map of the world. Well, we all have an idea of what a map is. Say, like the uh, street map of Berlin or New York City. It helps us find our way around. But, of course, that's an entirely artificial, constructed world. Say, let's take a map of a wilderness area. So now it's very much more difficult to bring that into some sort of visual image. Or take the map of a musical composition. What would that be? Well, that's like in classical music, the score. Now, what do all three of those have in common? The map of Berlin or New York, the wilderness, and the musical score? well every terrain is going to have infinitely many similarities and differences that we bring together in different ways to see the relationships so a map of the wilderness for example can lift out features in terms of altitude and the map of berlin or new york city can lift out features in terms of north and south, east and west. you got to know which way those streets run, what part of the city you're in. In the map of a composition, say Igor Stravinsky, the Rite of Spring. Well, there are a lot of notes there and a lot of relationships, both qualitative and quantitative. And when we approach a piece like that, the quality of our vision is going to be conditioned to a large extent by the quality of our concepts. If we're still thinking in terms of Bach, we're not going to get very far. But if we have ideas like regularity, irregularity, complexity, instead of just mere tonality in terms of sound and pitch and whatnot, movement, directionality of movement, well, then things start to open up. So we have a world and we have that map of the world, the way that we weave the many similarities and differences together. And I'm suggesting that that is not a key feature of nature, but it's a key feature of how thought and thinking interact with nature, with any kind of a world. And then it goes on, it has many distortions. This map, any map, it has many, it's inherently going to be limited. Many distortions which lead us astray. Well, we're not going to be happy campers in the wilderness if our map shows us a route through, up and over, a pass and it turns out that it leads straight off a cliff. So we're stopped as that saying goes dead in our tracks. Now what I'm suggesting is that only because of a lack of awareness, a kind of ignorance really, which is totally unnecessary, it's a failure of education. Because of a lack of awareness, we don't see this formative activity We don't see the world, we see our map of the world. It has many distortions which lead us astray. And freedom, I mean inner freedom, freedom from conditioning, the past, begins in awareness of the map. And that's what a talking circle is all about. You become aware, both alone and together, and alone and together, of these things that are conditioning thought and thinking. Not perception yet. We're leaving that off to the side. Okay, rock star all's formative metaphor. So we're getting closer. Well, every journey like this, what isn't a journey? Hmm? Life is a journey. So we're getting closer to a metaphor, which is a kind of map. Well, every journey, in a way, I think, like a concert is a journey, it's always good to stop and honor those who have gone before us. Think of that wilderness trail. Who made that? Those streets in Berlin, in New York City, who made those? So it's a part of mindfulness and gratitude simply to bow down in recognition to those who have gone before us. So I'd just like to mention a very great classic work that for me personally was extremely valuable. That's Metaphors We Live By by George Lakoff and Mark Johnson, a 1980 book. And I can remember uh, taking it along with me in the Alps in my backpack and working on it day in, day out. I'd read it in the afternoon while making (laughs) hay. It was uh, a real gift, very enlightening. I would recommend it to anyone who has a serious love of uh, language and poetry. For it is true that metaphor is the very heart and soul of poetry, and I would suggest generally in the arts and sciences as well. One of the key things I thought was so striking about metaphors we live by, and I want to go on now, is just take the idea that we're mapping, we have an idea of what maps are now, one territory onto another. I'm just being very simple. And we're moving on from Lakoff now. Let this ring in the middle a little bit that War is a game. War is play. Well, if we look at that, that is a formative activity of thought, which is spot on. When we're thinking of it, when we read reports about this conflict and that conflict, we're always uh, very much shaped by the idea of, say, like a soccer match. There are sides, there are winners and losers their motivations, players, defeat. All the things that we use to understand a game are effortlessly, tacitly, that's very important. That means silently underneath shaping, not perception, but thought and thinking. There's nothing wrong in that, except if we're not aware of it, because it can be highly distorted. I would begin with say, no. War is not a game. War is unnecessary conflict, full stop. Now we're out of linguistics and into ethics that all war is unjustifiable, unnecessary conflict. So that's impossible to understand if we don't liberate ourselves from the legacy of a highly powerful and also destructive formative metaphor. If we don't understand the deeper mechanism, then we don't understand the things that are pushing us to think and behave in a certain way. So we begin to give attention to these formative metaphors. They're very powerful. And it's much more than just uh, what we normally think of as language. It's a universal principle, in my view, of thought and thinking itself. And not necessarily perception. We've left that off to the side. So, the rock star, all's formative metaphor. And I think that the epithet, the formative, the reason why I say that is because that's exactly what they are. It's not just conceptual as the linguist would say. But they actually shape our behavior. And that's what I want to understand. Well, there's another miniature that I use to try to understand how that works. And now in the positive, in the beautiful sense. Metaphor, a movement of resonance, perhaps. A rhyming not of words or sounds, but of meaning. Do you not know this light and quick energy of two separate thoughts which touch wings and fly off into the distance together? So all of a sudden, metaphor is not just a question of words. A resonance between something very much more deep. So we get all of a sudden things that a child can instantly understand and that uh, a linguist will, with all due respect, make hopelessly complicated. An aesthetic compass, Well, that's a beautiful image. What's going to be the true north of right action in a world with compassion, an ethical compass? Well, if you take an idea like first do no harm, Maybe that's the only ethical compass that we need. What are other examples of metaphor? And again, I don't want to be too precise. That, especially not at the beginning. So, in my view, we have movement, and in trying to understand movement, a key feature is difference and similarity. And when we have metaphor, We're resonating, not just mapping, it's very much more subtle. Resonating, it's a sympathetic resonance between similarities. So you can't really understand what's going on without understanding sound. Isn't that interesting? Two separate potential sounds which are separated by space that begin to sing together, a sympathetic resonance. And if you're a physicist, that deserves serious attention because that resonance is outside of time and space. It's something that exists in potential and then it manifests in time and space. So difference and similarity. So if we don't define metaphor to it's just all one movement between analogy, similarity, simile, and metaphor. We don't want to be too precise. It's all a form of resonance. So an- analogy is when we spell it out. A is to B, is B is to C, and so forth. So in the metaphor, it brings it together like our ascetic or hmm, I just said the ascetic compass, our ethical compass, brings it all together very tightly in a new composite that perhaps gives us insight. Now, what I want to understand is this rock star, all formative metaphor. So these are all things we're just throwing in our backpack. And you can say, okay Cliff, let's get on with it. We want to get up into that wilderness. So we're just throwing these things in our backpack and we don't need more than is going to help us get along. So I'm trying to keep it simple. What are three or four analogies or metaphors? Well, you have that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful image that the moon is an apple of Isaac Newton. And suddenly, with a flash of insight, that we understand that the moon is falling is totally counterintuitive. And with that insight that the moon is an apple, suddenly we have an insight into what we call gravity. Or you have the equally remarkable Nikola Tesla that suddenly sees that a generator is the Earth itself spinning around and generating an alternating current. Or you have the insight of Jido Krishnamurti. The truth is a pathless land. Well, that should speak to any mountaineer. And I think it's true. Go into it. Truth is a pathless land. All of a sudden we see the tremendous meaning of wilderness And how do we say it both literally? I'm sitting right now at the foot of a very great and magnificent wilderness. That those who have gone before me with great work and adversity and dedication have set aside. How do you say that? Not just for enjoyment but it's the beginning of regaining what we've lost of sacred space. Of this land as our land. In putting ourselves as a species back into the community of the whole of living creatura. So wilderness, but then you have the figurative wilderness. Of what? What's Krishnamurti talking about? as someone who has gone before us, so we're simply bowing down and honoring his work? Well, there's something very beautiful in that. That there's no route; you have to find it yourself. Now, what does that mean? There's no guide. There's no authority. Well, if that's true, as I think it is, that certainly is a different world than we have around us. So those are three analogies, metaphors. That's a movement. Analogy and metaphor are not separate. So the moon is an apple. An AC generator is simply the earth (laughs) spinning around its axis. In truth is a pathless land. So rock star, all formative metaphor. Well, the reason why I think it's important to understand is that, what should we call them? Era metaphors, bad metaphors, corrupt metaphors. They not only distort the perception, but they set us, set us out on the wrong path if we're still in the dark about them, unaware of them, well, they become extremely destructive, potentially. Well, if you step back from current Western culture, the uh, formative metaphor of rock star, I think, is universally there. It's very powerful, and it's very destructive. And it's very simple. So... It's interesting in dialogue to simply posit that that's there and to look at it and go into it and see it. And if it's, how should you say, if it's really true, then it's liberating because then it doesn't touch you. If you see it, then you disempower its energy. So the rock star's formative matter. Well, we all know what a rock star is, right? Now, what are the key features of the so-called rock star. Let's see, just um, just a handful, like young, fun, sexy, wealthy, sinner potential. Is that five? Yeah. Well, you gotta be young to be a rock star, and then we get the new. You have the contemporary phenomenon of the old rock star that's where it becomes uh, self-evident that something strange is at hand but i'm not just looking at uh, the actual rock star you see a metaphor can become like a coat that we put on and project out into the world there you have it that's what we need you see a map we don't see the world, we see a, our map of the world, which has many distortions which lead us astray. Well, that map not only shapes thinking, but what does thought do? This relationship between thought and reality, thought is also projecting. It likes take your computer that you're looking at right now and turns it around. Instead of being a window, it becomes a movie projector that is throwing images out into the world. And that's why it's so important to become aware of it, because it's not passive, it's actually shaping, that's what I mean by formative, our thought and thinking. And that's why they can become so highly distortive and destructive. Just the thought of an enemy, something which I see as a threat, is going to shape my perception. So I'll, or our thinking... I'll behave towards that other in a way which creates the very threat I fear. So we want to be able to understand it. So rock star. So we have fun. It's got to be fun. Entertaining. That's all we have anymore. We're almost totally lacking in a culture a kind of seriousness. It's got to be fun. Young. Sexy. Sexy. Attractive. Wealthy. That means you have infinite resources, normally we think of money, so, and it's effortless, that you don't really do any real hard work for it, but it's just because you're so young and happy and fun uh, and good at what you're doing, that you have so much money that you would not know what to do with it. And center of attention, that's probably the key feature. Well, now we move from the rock star on to three different areas where we take that same coat and put it on other areas not just people but it's like it's not just a stereotype it's much something much more profound than that because it's actually shaping the behavior and all you have to do is take three different domains and then you see their similarities so now we have politicians that are rock stars. We have religious figures that are rock stars. We'll put those in the middle. And uh, musicians that are rock stars, and then not in commercial music, but in, what should we call it, art music, non-commercial that the music that begins to serve music, it's not about me, but I'm simply there, like a kind of musical monk, to serve the beauty of the muse, music. So we have the politician, the religious figure, and the classical. That's a way of talking. It's not a very good good one, but the classical musician. Now, for the a politician, that's the easiest to see. That's a completely contemporary phenomenon that this idea of a map which is not only shaping our thought and thinking, but that we turn it around just like the computer screen and project it out into the world, well, politics has become a kind of late-night television entertainment. If that's not self-deception, then I don't know what is. And I find it offensive. Just watch how a politician nowadays holds a microphone. How they walk around. It's like they're on late night television. It has nothing to do with um, the kind of humility which would simply wish to serve the greater good of the community. And why is that? It's because the rock star is why it's so destructive. Is because that center of attention is really the self-centered me the ego energy which is some sort in its very essence an illusion that has broken itself first and foremost in the individual him or herself that has broken itself off from the flow of intelligence because it's broken, just a mere fragment, it has to find a source of energy someplace else. Now, with the rock star, what's happening is that we, the people, are in a very uh, subtle way giving it energy by giving it attention. So instead of giving energy to the very best, we give energy to the very worst. Is that true? Let that sink in. It seems to me that that's what's happening. And that begins first and foremost with ourselves. If I put on that rock star as a young person, say, put it on like I buy a coat I see in the catalog, oh, isn't this nice? So I put it on and all of a sudden I think I'm a mountaineer or stick with the rock star, I get a guitar, I take it out of the case and all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, gee, I need a recording contract. I don't even know how to tune the damn thing. So all you're doing is putting on, all we are doing is we're putting on images. And this image of the rock star is a very corrupt one. Without attacking the better parts of a certain tradition. But when the politician does that, which is now almost universal, and of course, politics nowadays goes on, as we say, 24-7, and that is a kind of ecology. It's a very corrupt ecology of how contemporary politics has co-evolved with corporate uh, media. So the show must go on, and it goes on night and day. So let's go back to Truth is a Pathless Land. If we go up into the wilderness, say, for a couple, three weeks, and like the saying goes, it's another metaphor, tune out. Well, that barrage of the projected reality of the corporate media stops. And then if you go out there, alone or together, you say, "Uh uh-oh, no radio, no internet, no cell phone. There's nothing coming at you, right? There's no projection coming at you. That's why wilderness in the present era has so become so crucially important as sacred space. That's where we go. It's one of the few places left where the noise stops. And we can become aware of this formative activity of thought generally, and now specifically, of the rock star, as formative metaphor. So we have the politician. It should be obvious. If you go into the any forest and just sit for a while next to a stream, all of that formative activity that is so distortive starts to fall away. It's so simple. But the religious figure, well, I think I'll just be silent on that one. We do exactly the same thing. And if it was, were a true religious figure, they would disempower that image somehow and refuse to be a center of attention both as a kind of self-preservation and to make manifest how destructive that energy of the me really is. Well, let's bring this around now to classical music and that hits close home, close to home. Well, is there really all these different species of music? Or like poetry, is there just poetry? There's just music. In, in my view, there's just music. And the difference between poetry and music is only a word. And what I see around me, I'll be very brief, because many will be listening that have no background in the classical musical arts, so it's hard to understand. But uh, like all other areas of Western culture, there's a crisis uh, that's been going on for decades in uh, music. And how would you describe it? Uh, Well, one way of looking is that it's a question of relevance. In the time of Bach, music, was the very heart and soul of the culture given tremendous significance in the same way that uh, we give um, well i was going to say science but maybe now money significance in the present culture that money has basically usurped meaning usurped freedom well in the time of bach that was very different It's hard to really, as a thought experiment, go back in time and just to feel and sense with your whole instrument and being what that would have been like. If you wanted music, you had to perform it. You didn't turn on a a stereo. But there are many problems in the area of music, and one of the most self-deceptive ways of trying to approach those problems is by putting on the, the coat of the rock star. It may work like um, war works in the short term. The music may in the short term become more popular, but um, it hasn't really gone to the heart of the problem. Now where do we see that manifest in the classical musical arts and music? In the current era, we give attention to people and not meaning. So we're looking for the young, beautiful, happy, fun, talented young performer. And we worship that regardless of what they do. So there are all these corporate-like entities on the periphery looking for the young talent. And then they shape them at a very tender age to go out and do utter nonsense. And they wind up spending a whole career playing their Tchaikovsky and Mozart and just, in my view, wasting their talent. It has nothing to do with creativity. It is utterly mechanical. It has nothing to do with musical intelligence and listening. So we see one beautiful <laughs> string player after another coming up, and they it, just look at it. They're just putting on a coat, imitating some thoroughly corrupt image. Now, that's very tragic. So I'm not rejecting it, I'm trying to understand it. Change will come later, but the understanding of the mechanism is crucial. So from the politician to the so-called religious figure to the virtuoso image as rock star in the classical musical arts, they're all exactly the same. And it's that deeper, underlying, formative movement of that metaphor which is shaping our behavior and thinking. Now, we've left perception, and I'll end with that. It's been sitting over to the side. Well, let's not call it perception. Let's call it listening. Listening, the art of listening, is what I look for. And that has nothing to do with the past has nothing to do with this legacy of tradition, which is really this tangled barbed wire ball of mistakes. But it's what Krishnamurti was talking about, the pathless land. It's this movement of balance, truth and function, and self-correcting, which is exploring the new. That's why to really listen it's never secondhand. That's why this great, but in a way, corrupt and corrupting tradition of putting Baroque music center stage, well, what does that really have to do with listening in wilderness, in the unknown? I'm asking myself, too. I can confess I, I mostly listen to Baroque music. <laughs> and with my students, I insist that they play both Baroque and new music. And the other way around, too. To play, uh, the Baroque musician must play new music, otherwise they're playing, they're living not just in a museum, but it's just totally of the past, secondhand. They can't possibly share in this great metaphysical context of meaning, the great chaos of this current era. So listening, perception, That's what I'm looking for. In the rock star, all formative metaphor, that's something very powerful that's in the way. So listening will just blow it up. It dissipates that, um, that false movement of energy. Well, that's it for now. Signing off for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. This is Cliff. Ciao for now.